0: a series right now that we're going through uh, on the book of Proverbs. And uh, the other guys that have been preaching this series have done a phenomenal job. Um, They probably haven't let you on to this yet, but I'm going to level with you. Preaching from the Proverbs is super hard um, because you've got like these, uh, these phenomenal narratives in the Bible. They're so rich in their story and the characters are so interesting and it's easy to draw things out about the human nature there. Um, it's easy to preach from there. And then in, in the New Testament, you've got these letters with such poetic language and these beautiful, glorious truths of grace. And it's uh, easy to preach out of that. And then you get to the book of Proverbs and it reads more like a Twitter feed full of chinese fortune cookie slips you know and it's (laughs) what do i do with that um and so i was i was reading through the book of proverbs trying to figure out what to preach on and i asked my wife i said do you have any ideas what i should preach on and she said how about the proverb that says the man who denies his wife a foot rub is a fool (laughs) and i said i do not believe that is the word of the lord lady (laughs) but we finally did land on something um So the book of Proverbs is trying to help its readers live in wise ways, right? Ways that are good for them. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is taking broad knowledge about uh, our condition, about who God is, about how the world works, and using that to inform our moment by moment decisions, helping us to make good ones. I mean, little snippets, these sayings in Proverbs are trying to help us to know the best way to navigate all sorts of common, everyday situations. And the verse for today is kind of like taking that big idea of Proverbs and condensing it down into one verse. And so we're going to look at, uh, it's page 542 in your pew Bibles, it's Proverbs 19, verse 21. Like I said, this verse, Proverbs 19, verse 21, page 542, it is a, a, a condensement of the entire book of Proverbs to me. And so here's what it says. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, we're all, in some ways, trying to make and carry out plans for our lives. Some of you uh, are more planned out than others. You will not leave the house without a very detailed itinerary of what time and what you're going to do, everything. And like, you have to have everything laid out minute by minute, right? Some of us are a little more loosey-goosey with our plans, but we still have an idea of what we want to do. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, have an idea of what we want our life to look like, right? I know how I want my life to go, and I kind of know a vague way of how I'm going to get there at least, right? All of us have that. Some of you, uh, your goal is you want that classic American dream deal. So you know you're going to have to have a spouse. You know you're going to have to have 2.5 kids and a house with a white picket fence. Right, that's your goal. That's your plan. You kind of know how you want to get there. Others of you, your ultimate goal is to have a successful career, right? And so you kind of know, all right, I'm going to have to get this promotion. I'm going to have to know this person. I'm going to have to move to this company and back in order to get, uh, work my way up the ranks. Like, you kind of have a plan for how you want to get to where you want to go, right? Others of you, you know, I want to be able to retire comfortably. And so you have an idea for how you want your money to be invested, hopefully not with like Bernie Madoff, but you've got some kind of investment plan, right? And you're, you want to get to the point where you don't have to worry about money and you can do whatever retired people do, sail the Caribbean or watch Wheel of Fortune or what, whatever that is. I don't know. Um, and, and some of you, like you're, your one goal for your life is to, uh, to be full of comfort, Right. You just don't want to deal with anything hard, and so you've got kind of a plan for how to avoid the next difficult situation, right? It, we all just have some idea of what we want our life to look like, and we kind of know how to get there. We all have plans. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, and I think it's especially true uh, perhaps for us in America because we have this cultural Uh, idea ingrained within us that if you make a plan if you have a goal and you work hard you can achieve it right we're we're brought up with that idea in our minds Uh, there's an avid brothers song the a line that says decide what to be and go be it right we believe that if we set up a plan a goal we can do it but it's kind of a facade is it not it's not exactly true My wife loves HGTV. I don't know. Any other HGTV watchers in the house? Yeah. Um, so we don't have cable or anything, but they've started putting these HGTV shows on Netflix. And uh, so n- there's a show. And it's these guys called the Property Brothers. And they do, uh, I think it's called Buy and Sell. Um, and so in this show, it's the same thing every single time, right? There's this family that's like, we hate our house. We need to move out now. And one of the brothers is a realtor. And he says, I can help you buy a better house, but we're going to have to sell your old house for this much. And it's not worth that much. And then the contractor brother is these two like good looking twins from Canada and they're all charming and stuff. And the contractor brother says, well, I can fix up your house. And if we can have a budget of $10,000 and we can sell your house for $50,000 more, everyone says, this sounds great. Let's get to it. And the same thing happens in every episode. So the contractor brother will be working on the house and then all of a sudden something will not go according to plan, right? Something will go wrong and it's very dramatic in the show and so it's always just like Hey, we were working on the house, and oh, there's termite damage, that's not going to pass code, we're going to have to spend some more than we thought. Or, oh, there's mold in the house, that's not going to pass code, we're going to have to spend more than we thought. Or, oh, your house is built on an ancient Indian burial ground, that's not going to pass code, we're going to have to spend more than we thought. Like, something goes wrong in every episode, that they didn't have to like change their plan and fix it nothing ever goes according to plan. And I, anyone else do home maintenance or you, you have to work on projects? Can I get an amen? Nothing ever goes the way you think it will when you get started. Is it not the same way in our lives? Is there anyone among us that your life has gone exactly the way you dreamed it would when you were 16 years old? Probably not. Desires change. And so sometimes our plans change as we, we get older and we know what we want more and our goals change, and so our plans have to change. But a lot of times, external circumstances that we have no control over knock us off balance, do they not? Knock us off track in an instant. What happens when you get laid off? What happens when your family member gets sick? What happens when you never meet that special someone? What happens to your plan? your plans may be ruined. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But in the end, do we really have the power to ensure that those plans come to fruition? Nope. We do not. Yes, we have this belief in our American idealism that if you just set a plan and you work hard, you can achieve it. But do we really have the power to control all the circumstances of the universe and ensure that our plans come to fruition? No, we do not. But what does our proverb say? It says... But the purpose of the Lord will stand. Much like us, the Lord has plans, not just for our lives, but for the entire universe. But unlike us, his plans are not subject to external circumstances. Whatever he wants, he gets every time. He's under control of how every detail plays out in the grand story that he's weaving. We see that in Proverbs sixteen thirty-three. It says, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. Lots were kind of like, uh, it was a game of chance. It was like rolling the dice or flipping a coin, right? And so it says, you can, you can flip a coin, but the way it lands is up to the Lord. He will determine whether it lands on heads or tails. And it's the same way in our lives. Every decision is from the Lord. Even when your plans come crashing down, God is in utter control of how our stories play out. We see that uh, in the book of Genesis, Uh, There's a man named Jacob, and he has many sons, and he has one son named Joseph, and uh, he liked Joseph better than his other sons, and so he gave him all these special things, including an amazing Technicolor dream coat. (laughs) And Joseph was, uh, he, he knew that he was the favorite, and he was kind of looking down on his brothers. He was becoming haughty. He was becoming prideful. His brothers hated him, and they were growing embittered toward him. And so it, the Bible says that they made a plan. Their plan was that they were going to kill him and make it look like an accident and tell their dad that he died. So then uh, they're getting ready to do this and they change their plan. This, uh, this group of slave traders comes along and they say, well, why don't we just sell him into slavery? That way we make a little money off the deal. He's still out of our hair. Let's do that. And so that's what they do. So they, uh, they make it look like he's dead still, tell their dad that he died and he gets sold into slavery. And so the slave traders take him down, he gets sold into this house, and he's actually doing okay for a little while as a slave uh, until a woman falsely accuses him of rape, and then he gets thrown in prison. And so he's in prison, things are not going well for many years, and then God kind of miraculously, through a series of, uh, of opportunities that he has orchestrated, uh, makes it to where he becomes uh, free from prison, becomes the second in command to the king of Egypt. Then where Jacob's, or excuse me, Jacob's family, Joseph's brothers, where they live, there's a drought. They run out of food. They're in trouble. They come down to Egypt and they don't even recognize Joseph, but they come before him and they say, please have mercy on us. We're out of food. We need help. Help us, please. But he recognizes them and he does have mercy on them. And here's what he says to his brothers as he tells them, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm the brother that you sold into slavery and you tried to kill. I don't know if you remember that, but I'm going to have mercy on you right now. And here's what he says. He says, what you meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. What you meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. Joseph had plans. His brothers had plans. Nothing worked out the way anyone thought that it would. But God took every decision, every poor decision, every evil plan, every circumstance, and he worked it out, it says, for good. There's a songwriter named Jason Isbell, and I love Jason Isbell. Uh, he just came out with a new record uh, called Something More Than Free, and yes, the record label is paying me to market this right now. <laughs> they are not, I'm kidding. Um, but this, it just came out this week, and there's a, there's a song called 24 Frames, and the chorus says this, you thought that God was an architect, but now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow And everything you've built that's all for show goes up in flames. And friends, the truth is, using Jason's metaphors, God is both a pipe bomb and an architect. He will lay to waste any plan that you make that will drive you away from him. He is too good to let us try and build a life apart from him because he knows we're looking for joy and contentment and satisfaction. He knows that, but he also knows that he is the only place where we will ever find real joy, contentment, and satisfaction. And so as we try to plan our lives apart from him, he will graciously destroy our lives so that he can rebuild us in the ways of grace. He will blow up our pathetic attempts at glory in order to rebuild us in his ways. Thank God that even when our plans are bad, our God is good. Amen? Amen. And so if you're like me, you get to this point, you've heard this story about Joseph, you've read this proverb, and you see that there's maybe a little bit of a theological and philosophical quandary going on here. Um, you say, okay, you're telling me that I can make plans and decisions, but you're also telling me that the consequences of those plans and decisions are ultimately up to the, up to the Lord, Right? And yes, that is exactly what the Bible is saying. So do our decisions really matter? Yes. But does God set the future? Yes. So is it up to me or is it up to God? Yes. We hate that answer, right? Our minds demand an either or. Either I am a self-determined free creature who is going to pioneer his own way or I'm a fatalistic robot and God is setting my every move. So which is it? And the Bible just will not allow us to make a distinction. It won't let us. It will not allow for that. It consistently portrays a reality in which our decisions have real impact, and yet God is always in utter and complete control of the consequences of those decisions. He is working everything out to the way he desires. It is not an either or, it is a both and. Now we see another example of this in uh, Acts 27. So the Apostle Paul is on a ship, um, and the ship is in a bunch of storms. There's troubled waters. It's not looking good. But an angel of the Lord comes to Paul and says, uh, listen, Paul, the Lord has a plan. He wants you to be in Rome. Like that is, he's going to do that. And so you are going to be saved. Everyone on the ship is going to be spared. Everyone is going to be Okay? Okay. So that's a beautiful thing. This angel tells Paul the future, everyone's going to be okay. So then when they, they are in the middle of a storm, uh, the sailors are afraid that the uh, the boat is going to hit rocks and is going to sink. And so they're all ready to just jump overboard. They're ready to, to flee the ship. And Paul stands up and convinces them. He says, no, here's what he says. Um, unless you stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so that seems kind of weird to me. Uh, the Lord has already told Paul that everyone's going to be okay, but When the stuff hits the fan, Paul says, no, we have to do something. So if he already knows the future, why is he so insistent that they still have to do something? Well, because it's a paradox. The Bible insists that God's will and our actions somehow must simultaneously coexist. This is a weird thing that cannot be explained, but the Bible insists upon it. Our actions and our decisions and our plans matter, and yet God will always have things work out the way he wants them to. So... In light of that, if our decisions really do matter... And yet we, we need to be able to look and see that, that God is in utter control of everything as well. How does that truth affect the way that we make our plans? How does it affect the way that we make our decisions? And I think we need to break it up into two, uh, two ways that we make decisions, because I don't know about you, but I have special decision-making times where if I'm going to make a decision or a plan about something big and broad in my life, I take special care with it, right? And then, you know, there are also everyday decisions that you just make like that over and over and over all day. You barely even think about. So, but this proverb applies to both of those, and so I want to break them. Up. First, let's talk about those big, long-term decisions in which, like, the implications are going to have long-term impact on your life. Um, many of you have plans and decisions like that that are going on right now, right? Who should I marry? Should I take that job? Should I change majors? Should I go to grad school? Should our family adopt a baby? Right? You have big decisions on the horizon, things that you're considering. And as you consider those, I think there are probably two wrong beliefs about God that affect all of us uh, as we're trying to make those decisions in wise ways. Um, The first is that we think it's all up to us, right? We cut God out of the equation entirely. That's the first wrong belief. Um, Some of you deep down believe that these plans and these decisions are completely up to you. As you make decisions about your family and about your life and about your church and about your business, you believe that you are the ultimate one responsible for the outcome. And the consequences of those decisions fall squarely on you. A decision has to be made. You think someone's got to do it, and it's got to be me. If you're, I think if you were being honest, you would have to admit if we peel back all the layers of your heart, we saw what was down there at the core, you're keeping such a tight grip on your future because uh, deep down you believe that the only way of being worthwhile, of being happy, of being satisfied, of being content, is to have a certain kind of life. It is up to you to attain that kind of life. And why do you believe that? Well, because you believe that either God is not at work or he's not to be trusted. God is either not at work or not to be trusted. You have no interest in considering what kind of plan God might have for you because one, either he's not at work and therefore if anything's gonna happen, it is up to you to be happy. God's not gonna do it for me. It's up to me, and some of you believe that deep down. Others of you believe that he's not to be trusted. You think, okay, if God has a plan for me, I can't imagine how it would bring me more happiness or satisfaction than this thing I've got planned for myself. There's no way that God could know better for me what I need than I do. And so whatever he might say, this thing is more important, right? My plan is the one that's actually going to be good for me. And the burden of that kind of thinking will slowly exhaust you. If everything is up to you, it will exhaust you. This kind of thinking is the kind that will send you into a a slow downward spiral of anxiety and fear and depression because it is an incredibly hard thing to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Do you know why? Because you were never meant to. You were never meant to be the one to control the future. It's not all up to you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Right there, He is calling us to stop trusting in ourselves. He's calling us to stop believing that we have to get it all figured out for ourselves, that only we know what will bring us happiness better than, better than he will. He is calling us to stop trying to find satisfaction apart from him. He is calling us to try to stop going our own ways. He's calling us to loosen the death grips that we hold on our lives and to trust him to do what is actually good for us, what is actually good, right, and perfect, because he knows better what will bring us eternal satisfaction than we do. That's what he's saying. He is calling us to seek him as we make plans and decisions. There's an old saying that uh, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. He knows deep down in our hearts even better than we do what is going to bring us goodness and wholeness and worth and happiness. And he's saying we need to trust him. To stop trying to go it alone and to trust him. So that's one way I think that, that we can have a wrong belief about God uh, as we try to make these decisions. We just try and cut him out of the picture because we think it's up to us. The other way is that, uh, and this is one that I am more inclined to actually, uh, we, uh, we are too scared to make a decision. Um, and so we want to just put everything on the Lord, right? And what I mean by that, it sounds really spiritual and good, but what I mean by that is we refuse to make a decision unless we receive a notarized letter from Jehovah himself, right? Which is not going to happen. <laughs> um, if you do, save that. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> so if you're in that camp like me, you're probably asking, a, you're starting with a really good question. What is the Lord's will for my life? That's a good question. We should be asking that. Um, And you believe that God has a specific desire for your life. That's a good thing. But in your heart of hearts, the reason you're scared, the reason you're paralyzed by fear, is that you also somehow believe that you can choose wrongly and therefore screw up God's plan for your life and send yourself spiraling into um, misery and depression and you can never escape from it. You're worried about sending your life on a trajectory you can't get out of and that it's the wrong one. And because of that, you're too scared to make any plans or decisions. Um, And so you wait for a voice to come out of heaven and to give you step-by-step instructions for what to do. But I have some sad news for you that is not going to happen. So what do you do? The funny thing about this camp uh, is that it looks so spiritual on the outside. I'm waiting for the Lord to give me direction, right? That seems so spiritual, but what's actually going on in your heart is just a subtler kind of distrust. Um. If this is you, you're probably telling yourself that you're, you're a very spiritual person waiting on the Lord. Um, but in reality, you believe in a weak, distant God who needs you to take the right path and make the right choices in order to fulfill his purposes. And does our proverb say that that's the truth? No, it is not the truth. This proverb frees you from that kind of fear. It says that no matter what, the purposes of the Lord will stand. And what that means is that if you belong to God, if you are one of his own, you cannot screw up your life so much that he cannot repair, restore, and use it for good. You can't screw it up so much that he can't make good out of it. In fact, Romans 8.28 says, uh, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Our God is powerful enough, as we've seen, to take every decision, right or wrong, every every plan, good or bad, and use it for the ultimate joy and glory of his people. He has that kind of power. And so that truth should free you to just make a decision. And that's what the Proverbs are trying to do. They're trying to help us to make wise decisions on our own in the moment. And this proverb frees us to do that. You can take all the information, you can pray, you can seek the Lord. Those are good things and ask him to show you uh, things about yourself, about the circumstances. You You can work to a good end, but in the end... It frees you to just make a decision. You don't have to be paralyzed by fear anymore. And I can think back in times uh, of my own life where I was trying to make big decisions. Specifically, there was a time when I lived in Nashville and ended up moving to Chicago. And then a time when I moved from Chicago to here, uh, actually to help start uh, the Journey Metro East, which became Trailhead Church. In both those times, I can remember being paralyzed by fear, not knowing what decision was the right one. But in the end, you have to make a decision. And this proverb frees you to do it with courage and with peace, knowing that our God, who is good and powerful, will make good things come out of any plan and any decision for his own whom he loves. So those are some of the ways that as we deal with these big life decisions, like I said, uh, that, that we have problems doing it in wise ways and godly ways, and some of the ways that God wants us to trust him and to believe him, and to walk in faith. Now, that's, that's a good thing, but you say, listen, I don't make those decisions every day, right? It's not like every day I'm getting offered a new job in Seattle, and I have to figure out whether or not to go. How does this apply to my everyday life? And I think it absolutely does as well. This proverb absolutely applies to the decisions and the short-term plans we make every single day a million times. Um, that's, that's shown again in, uh, in that story in Acts 27 with Paul. So he is on the ship, right? And things are looking bad. And an angel tells him what the future holds. The angel says, everyone's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And his knowledge of the future informed his plans and his decisions in the present. And so when he was faced with the decision, should I allow these guys to jump overboard? Should I jump overboard with them? He knew the future already. And so it it gave him the courage and the knowledge to say in the moment, no, everybody, we need to stay here. We need to continue to steer the ship. Everything's going to be okay, right? His knowledge of the future informed his actions in the present Now, we don't always know God's plan in certain situations like Paul did, like that very specific situation, but we do know the future generally, right? The Bible tells us the way that history is going, the way that things will end. We know that our world has been marked by sin, by our rebellion, by evil. Things were bad, and yet God, through his grace and his goodness, is moving all things toward a time when it says he's going to make the world right again. It says he's going to bring about holiness and goodness, peace, patience, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit will be our everyday reality. That is what we're moving toward right now in an unstoppable current of restoration. That is the way that God is moving. That is the future. We know the future. How does that affect our actions in the present? Well, if we know that the whole world is moving toward holiness and goodness and restoration and renewal and peace, then how does that affect you when you are tempted in the moment to either plan and decide to sin or to obey? Because that happens a million times a day. Am I going to walk in the ways of God or am I going to go my own way? Am I going to believe and trust him or am I going to try and do this on my own? That happens to us a million times a day. And so how does our knowledge of the future of God's plans and his purposes, if we know God's purpose, how does that affect us in those moments? Well, Cornelius Plantinga, he's a a, uh, theologian. He says it like this. Satan has involved himself in a hopeless program of swimming against the stream of the universe, of wearing himself out in absurd, terrifying attempts to reconstruct in the opposite direction the whole work of the creator. Thus, while moral evil is destructive and sometimes infuriating, it is also ludicrous, right? If our almighty God is redeeming the entire world and we know that it is moving unstoppably toward goodness and wholeness and renewal, restoration, the fruits of the spirit, good things, then anytime we try and fight against that current, we must be crazy. We know how it works out, right? So anytime you choose sin over the eventual holiness that will win, you must be a mad person. You must be ludicrous. You must be out of your mind. You know the future and yet you're acting as if it's not true. And so in those moments when we're tempted, when we have the choice and will I plan, will I decide in favor of sin of going my own way or will I decide to obey and go along with this current that is unstoppably moving toward goodness and righteousness, which way will I choose? The choice should be simple if you would just ask the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, help me in this moment to step back, to see the broad scheme of things, to remember the future that God has set. Holy Spirit, help me to be sane to make a wise choice, to make a choice that's not mad right now. The universe is flowing one way. And to sin is to try to push against that current. And it's craziness. Have you ever been on a float trip? You get in, a, in a, uh, an inner tube, you jump in the river, the sun's shining down on you, your friends are all around you, there's a cooler beer floating with you, Is it not an enjoyable experience? It is relaxing. It is good, is it not? To let the river carry you. Now, have you ever tried to swim against a strong current? Is it easy? It is not. It's not easy at all. It's not joyful. It's kind of hard work. And if you do it for long enough, you will be exhausted. If you do it for too long, it'll kill you. it's the same thing with our lives. Once we learn to be changed by the Spirit, once He renews our hearts and renews our minds, we must learn to let Him show us how to flow with the rest of uh, redemption that is playing out. To let grace and restoration carry us. Because in the end, those are the ways that are going to be enjoyable to us. Those are the things that are going to cause us peace and happiness. To insist on sin is to try to swim against the current. If you do it for long enough, it will exhaust you. If you do it for too long, it will kill you. And so as we remember God's purposes played out, how the future goes, how the, we know that the end will play out, we can let it affect our lives in the moment as we try to make decisions as to whether or not to obey the Lord. That's how that applies to our everyday lives. So in the same vein, let's close this morning um, by looking at how God accomplishes this. We know that he's got this plan of restoration, of grace, of goodness, we know how it ends up, but how does he do it? How can he repair all the damage that's been done? How can he renew our hearts? How can he change our minds? How can he save us from the consequence of our sin and rebellion? Well, he had a plan for that too. And the scriptures say that he had this plan from before the foundations of the world. And we see a hint of the plan in Genesis 3 when sin first enters the world and ruins it. Um, God is dealing with Adam and Eve and Satan. Uh, the tempter, as as they choose to rebel against God. And he says to Satan, "Uh, you will strike the man's heel, but his descendant will crush your head. that's just a hint of God's plan for how to eradicate evil and bring wholeness back into the world. Later on, the the prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus when he said in Isaiah 53, it was the will or the, the plan or the purpose of the Lord to crush him and to cause him to suffer. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. What that is saying is it was God's plan for Jesus to take our iniquity on himself, to take our sin upon himself, our bad choices, our bad plans upon himself, and to bear the consequence, death for those bad choices, those bad plans, our evil, our wrongness. He bore it on himself so that we could be free free once again to trust god to do things that are good for us again free to be changed in our hearts by his holy spirit we're free now to obey god and to find joy in it and happiness and wholeness satisfaction and that kind of love and mercy that is proof to us that God's plan for plans for us are good and that we can trust him and should trust him he has proven to us that what he wants for us is better than the things we chose for ourselves. we chose sin he chose life we chose rebellion he chose grace and restoration and forgiveness his plans are better than our plans and he wants to give them to us so can we trust him today will we trust him today Can you submit your own short-sighted plans and desires to him and allow him to speak into you in ways that will change you for good?